Uh, we were we went out to uh, the first time to Singapore in 1964. We were in Singapore one year, and then we went to Jakarta, Indonesia. We worked in a Chinese church for three years, and then we uh, received a call to go to large unreached uh, people group in Indonesia, the Sundanese of West Java Muslims, uh, who were had a very small church at that time in, uh, at the, in their midst, uh, but uh, relatively they were unreached, one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Uh, so we, uh, we worked with them. We were there for, with that group for 30 years. Uh, we've been back in the States for 12 years, but we've continued to be active uh, in uh, various projects and ministry with uh, that same ministry, same, same colleagues that we worked with uh, when we were in Indonesia. And uh, we go back and forth uh, every year uh, to Indonesia uh, involved in the ministry there. So we've been able to keep up with what's going on. Uh, the reason I'm telling you this is that uh, we're, not, we're not leaders of agencies. Uh, we're not uh, high-status uh, people. We're just... Uh, church planters, cross-cultural church planters. So I, want, I tell you that so you know where I'm coming from uh, in, uh, in a presentation. Now, we, our platform there was, was as a teacher, so we had to have a platform and a, a visa. So we, we did teach while we were there, and we were involved in, uh, with the church planters. Uh, the, uh, what a sister said earlier today about the uh, church situation in America, uh, and this is part of uh, what we see here in uh, the uh, talk I'm going to give to you. Uh, they have it listed in the, in the outline as Muslim replacement theology, but actually the full title would be Demitude Muslim Replacement Theology, the Stockholm Syndrome, and the Insider Movement. Uh, or... Or another title would be The Influence of Power Relationships. So I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take you on another direction. Uh, and I'm uh, being from Indonesia, as opposed to Brother Elijah, who stirred us up. Uh, I'm probably going to calm you down a little bit so you won't have indigestion at lunchtime. But... Uh, but this is a very interesting subject. The basic, uh, we, we, we had a lot of young workers, uh, missionaries come into Indonesia in 1985. And so uh, they began to uh, implement variations. And one of their variations was what now is called insider movement. Of course, is what we never understood historically that insider movement was because the, the whole development of the Javanese church, which has the largest turning of Muslims of any church anywhere in the world, possibly now three to four million Christians among the Javanese Muslims uh, in Java, uh, which is, we were in West Java, that's in Central Java and East Java. Uh, and that's also all started, uh, pri that, that primarily started from insider movements but not this kind of insider movement that we're talking about this weekend, but a different, uh, the original historical kind of insider movement, which of course has been going on through the centuries. 
uh, various kinds of insider movement. But uh, there's a great variation. One thing I want to say at the outset, there's a great variation among the people in what we now call the insider movement. So you, we can't really tar everybody with the same brush, uh, even though we may feel that everybody is slightly off kilter, you know, or some extremely off kilter, uh, because uh, a lot of the, uh, most everyone that I've known who uh, became enamored with this approach, with this method of what we call insider movement, uh, come fra uh, comes from an evangelical background, a Bible, uh, a Bible believing background, even though all of them are not trained in the Bible or even trained in anything particularly, but, uh, but they, there's a variety, we're talking about a variety here that we have to be careful when we, who, who we're actually talking about. Uh, the, 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 those who Brian referred to earlier as Mr. and Mrs. L are in one category of highly trained uh, people, and then there's a whole other categories of insider people. Okay, uh, having said that, uh, I would like to mention just one other thing, and that is that the church in America, the, the, the traditional churches in America, if you're not aware of this, then you need to study up on it. But the, the, well, the mainline, what we used to call the mainline denominations, which were the Methodist, the Presbyterian, uh, the Baptist, the Episcopal, and Lutheran, and so forth, uh, most of those denominations, all except possibly the Baptist, they're all in disintegration, decline, extreme decline, what I call disintegration. They, they are, I'm from Methodist background, my wife's from Presbyterian background, so we're not talking, you know, about somebody else. Uh, these churches, because they are, are in disintegration, uh, because of, of many reasons, uh, and are becoming non-biblical churches, uh, many of them becoming non-biblical churches, people are looking elsewhere for answers. And the emerging church, which if you're not familiar with the emerging church, Brian McLaren, and others like that, you need to study up on that because uh, that is happening in the United States as well. It's not, we're not just talking about insider movement overseas, but some of the very same characteristics are taking place in the churches in America, and the young missionaries who are coming out of these churches and going into agencies and unfortunately not being really vetted or trained to the degree that they should be trained are going overseas and becoming involved in the same sorts of movements overseas. So you see, this is not just, I'm hoping that you'll understand, this is not an isolated small group of missionaries who decided that they wanted to do something that was uh, insidious or undermining of the, of the Bible or anything like that. that. That wasn't where this all came from. This came from people who have been indoctrinated in a certain way so that they think differently than most of us here anyway, and I think they think differently than many people in the churches, but they don't necessarily feel differently than a lot of people who are in the churches where they came from. It's just like Brian's testimony this morning about his church. I'm not sure what his church was, but it sounds like it's a very typical American church where really nobody really knows much about anything. And, and where my wife frequently says to somebody, 
uh, who's talking about theology. Well, that's a good Muslim theology. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, because they don't know anything about Muslim theology. But actually what they're saying is what you would expect the Muslim to be saying. So the basic question for me, and, and then I get into this, is uh, about the so-called insider movement is simply this. How did orthodox, evangelical, or traditionally Bible-believing Christians get drawn into a movement that has many non-biblical characteristics? Since 1990, when some American tent makers in my field of endeavor insisted on imitating a new approach that was being used in other countries, this basic question has plagued me. Why were they changing the traditional orthodox or evangelical understanding of the biblical meaning of repentance, baptism, discipleship, and other teachings that are the foundation of Christianity? Now, you notice here, I'm not talking about a new method or or a creative method. I'm not talking about methods here. I'm talking about theology, biblical teachings. Most of the workers in my area were from evangelical churches, and many of them had been trained in evangelical Bible schools and seminaries, though not all of them had been to Bible school, and uh, uh, not all of them really under, understood anything about Islam. But what was it that made some shift to a gospel that would, in quotes, that would allow a person to continue in their traditional religion, confessing belief in Jesus as a prophet, while claiming also to be followers of Jesus, uh, whatever, the followers of Jesus in quotes, whatever that might mean. And so we let them go, and, 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 and probably we will be judged for that, because we thought they were well-meaning, and they're going to sort this out. But as it went on, it, it got more and more uh, far away from the Bible, as we understand it. And then we began to ask these questions. I don't have these questions on the board, but uh, we began to ask these questions. Uh, might this be some kind of religious teenage missionary phenomena? Uh, were these young people just naive and unable to discern the impact of non-biblical theology and worldview such as those held in the Islamic faith. And yet, some of the older missionaries and teachers were also supporting these new ideas, which meant that it wasn't just a notion of immature Christians, because we have the writings of people like Ralph Winter, and we have, uh, we have uh, J. Dudley Woodbury and other people coming and giving support to this, you see. So and these, are, these are people who were... Our, teacher, our teachers also, a little older than us, generation ahead of us. And so we are, are, you know, wondering, were perhaps these new missionaries not too smart? Were, you know, maybe they're a little, a little less than what, uh, not the brightest lights in the, in the area or something? Or was their lack of education, experience, and knowledge the reason for the problem? But true... Some of them were not biblically educated, but others had advanced degrees in religious studies of some kind. So we're not talking about people who are not too bright on, on the whole. Might they be given to emotionalism? Was this just a passing emotionalism that is characteristic of many persons? Because we had, we had a number of them out of Pentecostal background who tend to uh, stress emotionalism. Uh, and, and yet... There were some cognitive-oriented senior missionaries and writers who were encouraging them. Another question we asked, did they think they were finding the long-sought key to winning Muslims? Was it the exhilarating thought 
of finding a golden key of evangelism. Many of them promoted the C1-C6 spectrum and its support of the insider philosophy as a long-awaited answer to winning the Muslim nations. Were they misled by teachers who practice anthropological approaches? Was it the erudition and the status of the seminary and mission school teachers who continually spun out avant-garde ideas and won the admiration of the Christian community back home? Uh, but we, we've been through that same training, you know, at Fuller and Biola, so uh, th these are just questions. Were they seeking some exciting news to send back home? Because, you know, when you're working among Muslims, there's not a lot of exciting news to send back home. Letters and email flew around the world about this great discovery of the C1C6 spectrum and of a method that had been successful in leading millions of Muslims to Christ. Although we never knew where all these people were, people were really getting excited about this. Was their lack of success in church planting disappointing them? Did, their success -oriented, uh, did these success-oriented Westerners feel they were not planting churches as quickly as they thought they were, uh, or as they thought they should? And this might be a common factor for all of the above questions, because some of the people, uh, main promoters of the, this, the insider movement here, are not church planters. They've never, church, they've never planted any churches. And in the whole time that we've known several of them, 15 to 20 years, they have not planted churches and know very little about church planting. Uh, so, uh, they, you know, why were they doing this, you know? Were, were these workers really born-again believers or just nominal Christian career people seeking personal success? But yet, so many of them with the testimony that they loved Jesus, you know, they wanted to share Jesus with the people. Were they, and then this final one, were they victims of spiritual deception? Was it a satanic delusion that was slowly spreading because of the overwhelming challenge of the Muslim world? Was Satan creating a distraction because Muslims were beginning to come to Christ in significant numbers? And I want you to realize, if you don't realize this, if you haven't really studied this in, 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 in enough depth, the turning of Muslims to Christ what happened long before this started of this insider movement. This insider movement is just getting on the pony and, and taking advantage of the fact that the Muslims had already begun to, to turn in, in large numbers in other countries, not only just in Indonesia where there's such a large number, but also in, in, in India and other countries uh, in uh, the Middle East. Uh, so uh, my wife first came to this conclusion uh, and I hated to, to accept this conclusion because, you know, you, don't, you just don't want to think of Christians, Bible-believing Christians, you know, that they could have uh, a spirit of deception. Uh, and we talked to uh, friends of ours, uh, Indonesians, about this. And, of course, none of our colleagues were interested in any of this. But uh, one of our... Uh, friends, man, man that worked with uh, my uh, son-in-law and daughter uh, uh, from a very, very strong uh, Muslim area in West Sumatra, uh, the Menangkabau, who practically no Christians among the Menangkabau. Uh, he had become a Christian after he was around 40 years old. And so we asked him one day, what do you think of this uh, this movement of, of becoming a believer in Jesus, but just continuing in the mosque. 
And this was his answer that sent chills down my spine. He said, the spirit of the mosque is a powerful spirit. And, and you know, I had been in Indonesia already for, uh, for t over 20 years at that time, uh, 25 years. But I had never, and this had never registered with me in just this way that he said this. And we had a, uh, we had a friend, uh, uh, who, uh, uh, an American with YWAM, who joined the mosque, prayed this sahada, and, and, but I met him before that. So I met him before that, and he was this really jovial guy, a fun, fun guy, you know. And he had worked as a missionary in Brazil, of all things, in Brazil. And he, he had married a Brazilian wife. I think a Brazilian wife, or it was an Argentina wife. But anyway, we always got that mixed up. She always corrected us, and I always got, I got it so confused that I can't, can't get it straight now. But anyway, he, he was just such a happy-go-lucky guy. And, but two years later, after he had gone through this whole process of joining the mosque, we, we, we met him again, and I asked a friend of mine, so, so how's Joseph doing? Oh, his face fell, you know, and I said, what, 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 you know? And he said, well, he's joined the boss. And I said, oh, I got to go talk to him, you know. So I went to talk to him. He was so morose, so full of anger, so bitter about everything. I, I mean, he just, I just couldn't believe it was the same guy. He didn't want to hear anything. He didn't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear anything, he said, uh, about... You know, uh, uh, he just, he's just going to go on and do what he's doing. And uh, I, just, I just couldn't. It was just so hard to see that. Uh, and then they began to promote the new Bible translations in the 90s. And they, they, and they printed one in Indonesia in 2001. A new theology of conversion became, they became secretive and would not discuss anything anymore with those of us who disagreed with them who were trying to, to raise questions about what they were doing. Uh, so we don't know whether it was part of these, uh, of the questions that I just asked you that we were asking ourselves, or, or all of these things, uh, but as the years went by, that we, we were seeing that more and more people were being drawn into this Islamic circle. And we had four, I know of four Western missionaries in Indonesia uh, uh, who have sprayed the Sahada and joined the mosque, become Muslims, uh, and uh, uh, I, I only know one personally, but I, I know of three others. There may be more. Uh, we, uh, we have come to the conclusion that this could be nothing but a spiritual deception that is drawing people into uh, to this degree. Uh, not to say that everybody in, I, in, in an insider movement activity is... is is in the, to this degree, some of it may be just uh, on the edges of this stuff. But uh, then, then, I, then I began, then the Lord, I think, showed me that there was something interesting happening uh, psychologically uh, in the human area as well as the spiritual area, which also, which, you know, you can't separate these completely. But, uh, and so we, we, uh, we looked at this. Uh, remember this, in the, uh, when Sarah Shroud uh, recently, the, the three who were, who were in Iran that were in prison, and Sarah Shroud was recently released, and she went to Oman. They, they took her out to Oman first from Iran, and then from Oman she came back to the United States. And when they asked her about her friends, she said, well, I hope they will all be released, inshallah. 
Now, here's a woman, a young woman, who has been kidnapped, uh, literally arrested, arrested for a violation of border, which she said, I all said they were innocent, and everybody, it seems like they were all innocent of what they were doing. Uh, but she's, she's put in prison in hell for a year by the Slavic people. And when she releases in her first press release, she uses an Islamic expression. Why, why did she say God willing? An American. I mean, not even if she's, you don't need to be a Christian, or, or, but just from a, an American background, yeah, I, I'll, yeah, I'll do that God willing, you know, but it's Allah, you know, uh, and the missionaries use a Muslim terminology in their conversation. Okay, in this paper, I want to examine three concepts of power relationships. And this is where the, sec the secondary uh, statement of the influence of power relationships, uh, that we can relate to the insider movement. And these three power relationships are demitude, Muslim replacement theology, and the Stockholm Syndrome. The Islamic practice of demitude and Muslim replacement theology has been uh, and, and, and you can just read that. This is a typical missionary who begins to talk uh, Islamic as soon as he gets on the field. For time. Doesn't know anything about Islam uh, or have any idea what he's saying, but he begins to use uh, Islamic expressions. The Islamic practice of demitude in Muslim replacement theology has been brought to the attention of the world and clarified by Bat Yor, uh, a Jewish writer born in Egypt. Uh, professor uh, Syed Hossein Nasser, who is professor at Tehran University, uh, a major uh, teacher, he's written a book uh, that I've quoted down at the bottom, The Ideals and Realities of Islam. Uh, this, the, he, he's brilliant. This man is brilliant. His, his, his knowledge of Christianity is also comprehensive. And uh, his, his English, unless he's had somebody correct it, is impeccable as well. Uh, in his book, he says about the use of the formula, Shahada Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim al-Dahimla Allahu Akbar insha'Allah masha'Allah. Here's his quote. The very existence of these formulae in everyday life is a reminder of the continual presence of the Quran in everyday life. Th these are not uh, simple expressions that we would use like, how you doing? How are you? You know, uh, these are expressions that have religious connotations, deep religious connotations. And uh, another missionary, Niels Mulder, who is a, who, uh, anthropologist, I take that back, not a missionary, anthropologist, Niels Mulder, he says this, he says, uh, reality is structured by ritual reenactment. And if you want to write that down, that this, 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 will, this will be useful to you over and over again. Reality is structured by ritual reenactment. And this is what you see in, in any, any uh, group that you go to, any unreached people group you'll go to, you'll observe that their reality is structured by ritual reenactment. And this is what these words are doing. These words are structuring in your mind and spirit the reality of Islam in everyday life. Uh, okay, uh, we look here at another guy, uh, Jeff Van, uh, Vanderad, 
The treatment we have all received in past relationships is a source of a powerful current, our sense of emotional and spiritual well-being. Now, I don't have these written in my, in my paper. That, uh, this sort of came to me after. I may have to rewrite the paper or something to get these in so people will, know, will be able to see this because this is the theory in back of the power relationships, underlying power relationships. Uh, and then uh, relationship systems have the power to influence and direct our actions. They may be intimate, such as family systems, or social, such as community systems, or political, such as religious systems. These are power relationships in which we can be uh, influenced and led in the direction that we don't even really understand uh, the way that we are being led. Uh, in Power Pathology and Paradox of Marguerite Schuster, she says this, when we put structure and will together, the result is power. Now, when you go into a UPG, and I'll say a little bit more about this in a, in a few minutes, when you go into a UPG, you're going in there under the control of somebody else. You are no longer your own person, you know, and, and you are now in another structure uh, and, and which is controlled by another will that is beyond you, that, that is greater than any kind of personal power that you might be able to exercise, unless you want to run to the embassy and say, you know, I'm an American citizen and I want you to, you know, get me out of here. Okay, when we perceive that the structure and will of an element is too powerful for us to operate freely, then we must make a choice. We either oppose it, we flee from it, or we find a way to accommodate ourselves within it. Okay, there are controllers. This is from Untwisted, uh, Untwisting, Twisted Relationships by William and Candace Bacchus. In all relationships, there are controllers. And here's their quote. It is not as hard as you think to be controlled by someone. Many of us let ourselves be controlled. Now, how many of you have gone into a UPG, gone into another culture, and you just accommodate yourself to it, don't you? You, 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 you let them tell you what to do because you, you want to be, you want to fit in. But you don't understand that sometimes what they're telling you to do is not what you should be doing. Moses knew this. Moses says, if your heart turns away, this is what he told, to, told the people it's before they went into Cana. You know, if your heart turns away and you will not hear it or drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you this day that you shall perish. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. But what happened when they went into Canaan? They all, they all followed the other gods. And, you know, if you go back and reread that, it's an amazing story. They immediately, why? Why did they do that? Because they were controlled. They were led away. They were, you know, they were deceived. They were, they were enticed. You know, they didn't do it because they wanted to die. They didn't think they were really going to die and go to hell because they were being drawn away. <coughs> and then Hugh Walpole, I'll just give you what an English novelist said uh, many years ago. He said, we are so largely the playthings of fate in our fears. And, and that's what happens. When, you, when <coughs> the fear comes over you, when you realize, man, I'm, 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 I'm helpless here. I'm in this foreign country, in this foreign situation. And if you've ever been arrested by a policeman 
and this has happened to me so many times, I've kind of gotten used to it, you know, and I'm friendly with them, because I, by the way, I, I, I made so many mistakes driving, you know, I broke so many, uh, so many rules, you know, that they, uh, that, but at first you're kind of shaky, because, you know, when, in Indonesia, when you go into jail, I mean, you can just sort of disappear in there, uh, and, and, uh, and they don't feed you in there either. If somebody doesn't come to feed you, you don't get fed, uh, and, and other things like that. Okay, the three concepts of power relationships I think that are very strongly affecting uh, any missionary are debitude uh, among Islam uh, is debitude, Muslim replacement theology, the Stockholm Syndrome. And I think they'll give us some understanding of, uh, of that. Okay, first of all, I want to I say a little bit about the insider movement, uh, and I'm not going to go into this in detail because so many of you have talked about this. Uh, but uh, in, in particular theory, uh, Rebecca Lewis, who is a major proponent of this modern insider uh, philosophy, defined it this way. And I think I have her definitions up here. Yeah, here we go. I have her definitions up here, so you don't have to copy this down. But uh, <laughs> she says an insider movement is any movement to Christ where... A, the gospel flows through pre-existing communities. Is that right? No, that's a little... We'll get to that one. And, uh, and where believing families as valid expressions of the body of Christ remain inside their socio-religious communities, retaining their identity as members of that community while living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of the Bible. And then Kenneth Higgins. I should have these. Uh, yeah, here's Higgins. Uh, he's described it in about the same way in different words. And Kenneth Higgins is also, I, I just quote these two guy, people because they're major writers. Uh, and I think probably we have, to, we have to settle on some kind of definition, although, you know, there may be some variations to the definition. Uh, but anyway, uh, he says that uh, it's notable that both expect the new believers to continue in the religious life of the community in the religious life of the community. Not in the cultural life, not in the social life, but in the religious life of the community. And this is where we really begin to part uh, paths here. And an end note, uh, definition number two, Rebecca Lewis again, in an end note, uh, and I have the references there for you, uh, she differentiates her definition from church planting movements. Uh, and I thought this was interesting. CPM, you know. So the main difference between insider movements and church planting movements lie in the nature of the house churches, that is, pre-existing social networks turning to Christ rather than artificial aggregate groupings. The, I'm quoting for her now. And the social identity of those involved, that is, they are retained versus changed. You don't change them, you just, they retain the social identity. In both movements, the churches are not institutionalized, and the people in both movements share a new spiritual identity as members of the kingdom of God and disciples of Christ. In the case of insider movements, however, this new spiritual identity is not confused or eclipsed by a new social identity. In other words, they're, they're still the original, their original identity, uh, whatever it was, their religious identity, whether they were Muslims or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever. 
And then she restates and expands her definition significantly in a 2009 article uh, in which she says that the gospel takes root within pre-existing communities or social networks, which become the main expression of church, in quotes, church, in quote, in that context, believers are not gathered from diverse social networks to create a church, in quotes. New parallel social structures are not invented or introduced. Believers retain their identity as members of their socio-religious community while living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of the Bible. Now, some of you may not agree with her definitions, or some insider people may not agree with her definitions. I, I don't have to fight that out with her. But I just put those up there to show you that at least there are some who believe that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't change your religious identity. You remain, if you're a Muslim, you remain Muslim. If you're a Hindu, you remain Hindu. If you're a uh, a Buddhist, you remain Buddhist, and so forth. Uh, now, what Lewis says, which become the main expression of church in that context, to the first part of her definition, uh, this seems to mean that the church is made up of members who also continue the pre-existing religious community. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't had any information come to me that says that this is not what she means. Uh, and so in clearer words, Many of the insider movement proponents who follow Lewis's definition actually hold that new believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can continue in the practices of their previous religion or belief system. So, so what they're saying is that they, they are continuing, they are now operating in two worldviews. They, they, they have become believers in Jesus Christ which transfers them into a totally different worldview than Islam, and yet they're continuing in the practices of the Islam, for example, or Hindu, or Buddha, which is an entirely different worldview. And so they're, they're, they're doing something which uh, is not possible to do without syncretizing two worldviews, because in Indonesia, everybody operates in more than one worldview. Uh, one of the hardest things we have to do with trying to train Christians is to get them to come into a biblical worldview and get rid of the mystic worldview because practically all of them are involved in mysticism, magic, shamanism, and so forth. And Muslims, they're, they're, I don't know of any Muslim, even I've even talked to Muslims uh, head of uh, a city, uh, a Muslim center who say, yeah, we do this, you know. He, he goes to pray to his placenta uh, when he has an important issue because the placenta is part of him. It's buried uh, back at home, you know, in the whole village and so forth. So all of those kind of beliefs still operate. They're operated to worldviews. Uh, and this, this position uh, leads to the, uh, the second most serious issue that I have with insider movement. And a lot of things about insider movement, I, I, I don't fight with them over, you know. But... Uh, but even at that, you know, my friends on the inside, and this inside, they're, they're very annoyed with me. They don't, they don't communicate with me anymore. Uh, they just feel I'm hopeless. Uh, and the, sec the, most serious, uh, the second most serious uh, biblical, non-biblical position uh, held by the insider movement is that one does not leave one's old religion or belief system. Because I'm absolutely convinced that 
you cannot operate in two worldviews. To, to fully follow God and to experience Christian growth, you have to come into the biblical worldview. You cannot continue to operate. Now, that period of time may be several years. We don't tell people that you can't practice that anymore. We just tell them this is what the Bible says. You know, you decide. And, and they know it's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. Therefore, if they want to do what the Bible teaches, then they, they have to leave those things. We have had people come be baptized. We said, if you give it up, your amulets. If you give it up, your charms. Yes, we have. But they some of them are lying to us. We find out later, years later sometimes, the person said, yeah, when I was baptized, I, I put them in a drawer. I, put, I gave them up. I put them in the drawer. But they were still in the house. They were a fallback. They were a fallback. And we have Christians, born again, baptized Christians. They, they get sick. They pray for healing. You, you know, you talked about healing this morning. Jesus heals. But he don't always heal where we want him to. So they don't get the healing, so they go to the shaman. You know, they're still there, you know, operating in the two worldviews. They're not completely clear. We don't berate them or cuss them out or tell them they're going to hell or anything. But we just say, what does the Bible say? Yeah, I know they say, I know what the Bible, they're embarrassed. They know what the Bible says, but they're not there yet. You know what I mean? So we're not forcing them to be perfect Christians. We know that it's a process. So they, some of those things we realize have to happen. Okay, but then it leads to the most serious non-biblical belief propagated by the insider movement is that Jesus does not have to be viewed as the Son of God. Th this is where I had, I, I, I broke, uh, I, I, I broke with uh, my friends, you know, over this issue because there is no way that you can, that you can follow uh, a non-biblical non belief system and, and deny the sonship of God. And even in the Bible translations, they begin to minimize, not totally, in Indonesia anyway, not totally remove, but to minimize the meaning of the, uh, the Son of God. Now, the, the, the first thing you want to read about Demitude is Bat Yor. Uh, she's a Jewish lady raised in Egypt. And because she started writing about Islam, and Demetrius, she had to leave Egypt. She lives in Switzerland now. Uh, she, and she's, she has this quote here, uh, which I've, I've got part of it there. She said, I tried to analyze the numerous processes that had informed rich, powerful Christian civilizations into Islamic lands and their long-term effects, which had reduced native Christian majorities into scattered small religious minorities on the way to total disappearance. Now, you notice that Bayor does not say that they were all conquered by the sword. You know, because they were not all conquered by the sword. But once, once Islam came in and authorities took power, possibly power by the sword, then the process began. This complex Islamization process affecting Christian lands and civilizations on both shores of the Mediterranean and in Iraq and Armenia, I have called the process of demitude. And the civilization of those peoples who underwent such transformation, I have named the civilization of Demitude. The indigenous native people were Jews and Christians, Orthodox, Catholics, or other Eastern Christian churches. They all referred to... Pardon? No, that's a little... I don't have all this on there. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. They, uh, they're all referred to by Muslim jurists as the peoples of the book, the book being the Bible, and they were subjected to the same condition according to Islamic law. They are called by the Arabic term demis, protected peoples. 
Go back. That's okay. Okay, okay. Uh, they're called by the Arabic term Debbie's protected people because Islamic law protects their life and goods on the condition that they submit to Islamic law. And it is this very Islamic law that generates the process of the debitude and self-destruction. So when we go into an Islamic country, uh, who are we subject to? We are subject to the Islamic country. Just like when I went into Indonesia, I was, I was subject to Islamic law. Uh, but uh, I was indifferent about, you know, I followed the law, but I was fairly indifferent. But I saw all these other people, they start talking about, Christians then start talking about Islam. And yeah, there are people down the street. Everything. And I'm thinking, you know, why are we whispering, you know? Because, you know, we're all Indonesians here. No, because there are, contra there are retribution of certain sorts. You know, if you do something, if you say something, or whatever, and gradually I learned to do that. And then I, and then I, and then I realized, man, it's just fear here. This is just fear here, you know? And, but I didn't feel that for maybe 20 years. For maybe 20 years. And then I began to feel the fear. And, and I was thinking, what, what is this? You know, I'm beginning to feel their fear. I, I'm really beginning to understand now, you know, when I talk to people, where they're coming from. Uh, the civilization of Bat York goes on to say, the civilization of Dimitude, uh I got part of it in here, I think. The civilization of Dimitude does not develop all at once. It is a long process that involves many elements in a sp specific mental conditioning. It happens, here you go, it happens when people replace history by myths when they fight to uphold these destructive myths more than their own values because they are confused by having transformed lies into truth. You notice their use of the word confused. They are confused. Yeah, they are deluded. She's not a Christian. She's not a, a spiritual person. But we would put in there, they are deluded into, into, into transforming lies into truth. They hold to these myths as if they were the only guarantee for their survival when in fact they are the path to destruction. Uh, and we, we've heard some of that yesterday talking uh, about the, the impact of, that, uh, of the, of the uh, Islamic, uh, Islamic community on a Christian life. Now, Demitude is this first concept of power relationship that I relate to the insider movement. Uh, it seems to be nothing less than the submission of saved peoples whose freedom is in Christ Jesus back under a structure that is controlled by Islamic law. Uh, although most Muslim peoples may have indigenous ethnic structures that are not Islamic, it is clear that the Islamic religious structures dominate. Uh, like in Indonesia, you know, it's, it's really a secular country, and it's not a Islamic state, and you, it, it, you are free to become a Christian, but uh, the Islamic religious structure dominates uh, because they are 85 to 90 percent of the population. The development of a church model that is under the power of the Islamic socio-religious community, to use Rebecca Lewis's term, it, uh, is to ensure its ultimate failure,
to develop a biblical church. In my opinion, in my, as I have looked at this, there are these churches, these so-called developing, these uh, embryo churches within the social uh, religious community of Islam, uh, Hindu or Buddhist, they will never become biblical churches. Uh, and the people, will, as uh, who was it saying yesterday, the people will probably be drawn back into Islam. And in this respect, I think the insider movement is, is, is influenced by a demi-mentality and, and, prob and probably promoting a demi-mentality among new converts uh, before they are even formed as a, as a fellowship of faith. Uh, it seems that the fear, it seems to me that the fear of the church planters in the face of the authoritarian Islamic structures has led them to keep inquirers within those structures in the false notion that they will be able to thrive better there. All right, the second concept that I have is the Muslim replacement theology. And yesterday, uh, 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 or Friday evening, Ergon Kiner uh, said uh, quite a bit about this, and David Cook yesterday, so I won't go into a lot about the uh, Muslim replacement theology, but uh, Batyur also talks about this in saying that uh, uh, in an interview with World Magazine, she, she wrote this. Uh, I don't think I have this. But anyway, th this is, was in World Magazine back in uh, 2005. There are many processes of Islamization. One of them is through theology and the adoption of Muslim replacement theology, whereby the biblical figures for Adam, Abraham, Moses, down to Mary and Jesus are all considered as Muslim prophets. Hence, Israel's history is transferred to the Muslim Palestinians. And it is easy to see from there the final transition to Islam, where the Jewish Jesus becomes an Arab-Palestinian Muslim prophet. And that's exactly what was described by Brother Elijah a while ago. Uh, we have seen that, uh, that they have absorbed uh, they have put the locus of their religion, Islam has put the locus of their religion in, in, in the Old Testament period. Uh, without being part of the covenant of coming down, they have, they've taken Abraham as their father, but they, and they have taken some of the prophets who were Jewish prophets, not in the line of Ishmael, but in the line of Jacob, uh, Isaac, I mean, and uh, they have, they have, uh, they have uh, kidnapped them, uh, the word now commonly used is hijacked, uh, them and, and, and incorporate them into their religion. So I believe that uh, the insider movement has also caved to this power relationship uh, by following many of the Islamic terms and teachings which contradict biblical theology. Uh, and and uh, almost uh, uh, among the most telling is acknowledging Islam as an Old Testament faith. Islam is not an Old Testament faith. Uh, by any reasonable, logical uh, uh, description, and ascribing divine inspiration to the Quran, uh, which, uh, you know, we Christians have never believed, and referring to Jesus as a prophet who has a biblical place in Islamic faith, those kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying everybody in the, Islamic, in, in the insider movement have said these things, but different ones have come up with these things. Okay, the, the third... Uh, is a social, uh, social aspect of concept of power relationship, and that's the Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, in 1973, 
the credit bank in, in Stockholm was invaded by a group of people, uh, six bank robbers, or, or six captives. I don't have any bank robbers. Six captives were taken. And in this case, the victims became emotionally attached to their captors and even defended them after they were freed from their six-day ordeal. They did not want these captors to uh, be tried. They wanted them to be released. The, cap the captives wanted to have the captors released. Syndro this is why this became known as the Stockholm Syndrome. It is the duality of a power relationship over someone. A person captured becomes deeply involved with the captor due to the typical confine of the circumstances. It is, it is, you see how this, uh, uh, if you've ever been in a, in a foreign country, if you've ever operated in a foreign country, you can feel this. And because even through the abuse and threats, they still must accept them as the only source of contact and nurturing that focuses on them. And, and I've had people do that to me, not, not just because I was a Christian, sometimes because I was a Christian, sometimes because I was a foreigner, and sometimes because they had the power to do it. They just, they just janked my chain right and left and, and tried to get me to say certain things or whatever it is they wanted me to say, which I had no idea what they wanted me to say because I didn't really understand the culture, what was going on. I had no, uh, no recourse but to follow them, you know, just to do what they wanted me to do. Now, Richard Newbold Adams, he, he also describes uh, over here, uh, in this aspect of uh, power in various kinds of relationships. And I hope that you'll look back at my paper and actually get some of this uh, original uh, material. But anyway, he says, power raised in the conjunction of what the individual perceives of his own internal being, what he perceives of the world about him, and how he relates these perceptions to establish relations with other human beings. So the Stockholm Syndrome describes some of, these, uh, some of these relationships uh, that may be helpful to us to understand what's happening to people. Because uh, when you understand what's happening to people, you, you have more sympathy for them. And uh, you can continue to have conversation with them. Uh, if you get mad at them because they're abandoning the Bible and they're going rogue, you know, they're, they're becoming apostate, then you don't want to have anything more to do with them. Only, you have only anger for them. And that's, that's not an answer to the problem. These, many of these people may be being drawn by powers that they're not even aware of what is going on uh, in their life. So I'm running out of time, so I'm going to give you here. Uh, the submission to the foreign religion. The non-biblical religion is praised as having intrinsic value for all people. And it only needs minor changes and then it'll be adequate for our uh, use, you know. The result of submission. Submissive attitude to the non-biblical religion and to the leadership of the religion. Uh, the, the churches become marginal and in some cases they may become a sect of the religion. Uh, and, and if I had time I could ex describe to you how in Indonesia that, that, that happens because there's only five official religions in Indonesia, and anything else in between is not a religion. But there, it's a cult. Uh, courage is needed to distance ourselves from the fearful attitude towards Muslims. 
Benjamin Lee Hagman in an article he wrote, Beware of Debbie Writers. So even writing, the effect of writing in favor of, of Islam, of, of how wonderful it is, and so forth and so forth. Uh, and when we don't bring up the aspects of, well, I just use it, this example of uh, the belief of Ishmael. This is an evangelistic method used by Common Ground. Yeah, which says Esau is a Muslim, you see. He's actually fallen into this whole pattern uh, of, of being a, uh, supporting the non-biblical worldview. Uh, the weaker party is the weaker party in the power relationship the insider movement submits, due largely to a sense of helplessness, insecurity, and fear in the face of the monolithic religious societies that are perceived to have resisted the Christian faith for several thousand years. And that's a debitude commitment there. Okay, I want to finish by reading uh, a statement from this man, Stephen uh, Prothero. And the reason that I, uh, I use this is he's a religion professor at Boston University. Uh, I was a student at Drew University uh, in the 1960s, which is one of the northeastern seminaries. And if you know anything about the northeastern seminaries, you know all of them are gone down the road to liberalism a long time ago. When I was at Drew, they were New Orthodox. And I don't know this man personally, but this is an amazing statement coming out of the liberal university. Uh, he says, while I do not believe we are witnessing a class of civilizations between Christianity and Islam, it is a fantasy to imagine that the world's two largest religions are in any meaningful sense the same, or that interfaith dialogue between Christians and Muslims will magically bridge the gap. You would think that champions of multiculturalism would warm to this fact, glorified in the diversity inside and across religious traditions. But even among multiculturalists, the tendency is to pretend that the differences between religions are more apparent than real, and that the differences inside religious traditions just don't warrant the fuss practitioners continue to make over them. We pretend that religi religious differences are trivial because it makes us feel safer or more moral, but pretending that the world's religions are the same does not make our world more uh, safer. Like all forms of ignorance, it makes our world more dangerous and more deadly. What we need is a realistic view of where religions, rivals clash and where they can cooperate. The world is what it is, and both tolerance and respect are empty virtues unless we actually know whatever it is we are supposed to be tolerating or respecting. Now I'm going to have to stop there. But, uh, but I have more of my paper where I've given uh, uh, application. Uh, and, and as they taught me at Fuller and Biola, you can't get away with theory. You've got to have application. So I got graded down on a few papers because I thought, well, it's a no-brainer, the application. I mean, no, no, no. You've got to write it out. So for the, in this paper, I've written it out. So if you access the paper... You, you get the practical applications. <laughs> okay, thank you.